focused on you, the AMP instructor. We are wanting to build a community of sharing ideas and best practices in anatomy and phys physiology for the success of students everywhere. I'm Valerie Kramer, the marketing manager for AMP here at McGraw-Hill, and I'm very excited today to introduce the lead author on one of our two semester textbooks, Valerie O'Loughlin. Valerie is one busy instructor with teaching and many other school duties, um, and of course, authoring A&P and Integrative Approach, now in the fourth edition. Uh, so this textbook is also known as McKinley A&P, or MOB, which is an acronym for our three authors, McKinley, O'Loughlin, and Vital. So, okay, I've talked enough, so let's have Valerie tell us a bit about herself. So welcome, Valerie. Great name, by the way. <laughs> so glad to have you here with us and on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here, and I hope I can provide your listeners with some great things, uh, with some great information about uh, the book and some changes we've made. Um, what would you like to know about me before we move on to the book? Yeah, so let's hear a little bit more about your background, where you're teaching, um, how many students you have, and what got you into teaching to begin with? Uh, thank you for that. Okay, so my background was actually in uh, biological anthropology. That's what I received my PhD in. Uh, but in the process of getting that PhD, I had to take the dreaded gross anatomy course. And I discovered that I actually liked anatomy. So I ended up taking gross anatomy, histology, pathology, uh, taught as a, um, a teaching graduate teaching assistant in the anatomy program. And eventually when I finished my PhD, I moved over into the anatomy teaching realm. My research focus has since shifted to involve um, anatomy education research and medical education research. And I mentor both masters and PhD students who are interested in anatomy education. So I teach a graduate pedagogy course for graduate students interested in being anatomy educators. And my teaching spans both the undergraduate realm as well as the medical student realm. In the medical student realm, I teach a gross anatomy course uh, to first year medical students. And I also introduce them to what's called POCUS. That's not a spell, it's, uh, that's an acronym for point of care ultrasound. In the undergraduate realm, I teach several uh, human anatomy courses. I teach a 200 level human anatomy course that has 480 students. So uh, we have separate le lecture lab sections and then an upper level anatomy course called human anatomy for medical imaging where students uh, not only learn the anatomy, but also um, are introduced to various imaging techniques. And for both of those anatomy courses, I use uh, my human anatomy book uh, as our background info there. Um, in terms of how I became an author, it was actually uh, in, it was in part getting communications from McGraw-Hill and being introduced to various McGraw-Hill faculty, uh, McGraw-Hill um, colleagues at a human anatomy and physiology society meeting. So I want to just do a little plug for HAPS, which is the Human Anatomy and Physiology Society. It is an organization devoted to anatomy and physiology instructors. Their motto is to inspire excellence in teaching anatomy and physiology, anatomy and physiology teaching. And um, as a result of that organization, I connected with McGraw-Hill and I started working with Michael McKinley on the human anatomy test. And from that came the A&P text. And with that, we brought on Terry Beidle. And those partnerships have been incredible. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, we are so lucky to have you. And 
yes, we love HAPS uh, at McGraw-Hill. What a great organization, too. So how has the HAPS, you served as president of that organization at one time. How has yes. that helped with your teaching or any other directions that um, networking there, other than obviously getting to know us? <laughs> so um, uh, with HAPS, um, the thing I love about HAPS is that uh, you have uh, colleagues who are interested in learning about one another, there is no hierarchy. There is no individual, uh, and some other meetings I've often felt, felt like there was a hierarchy, that you had the full professors who we were supposed to bow down to. Here, everyone is interested in the same thing. How can we get our students to understand and appreciate and truly learn anatomy and physiology? And what are some ways that we can make the learning experience truly transformative? So with that, you have full professors with adjunct instructors all working together to share best practices, which is great. Um, in addition to serving as president of, of HAPS, I also am on the steering committee and I serve on their exam program. So the HAPS anatomy, as well as their anatomy and physiology exams, that's one of the things I'm a part of. And I felt that that's been a truly symbiotic relationship. The commitment that I've had with the HAPS steering committee, the exam program, the president has helped inform me as an author. Likewise, as an anatomy and physiology author, I've been able to bring that experience to help inform the HAPS presidency and the exam program and so forth. So it's been a truly symbiotic relationship. Oh, that's awesome. Well, they're lucky to have you and so are we. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so based on that experience, so we are out with the fourth edition. So we'll switch gears to talk a little bit more about the textbook and how exciting. We always uh, work on some of these books for months prior and when when I say months I mean many months they start working <laughs> on the book um, talking to reviewers and talking to current users and how we can always make it better and improve it for today's student. So could you share just maybe some of the main updates maybe the your top three enhancements for the McKinley fourth edition? Sure. Which is out I this think month by the way. <laughs> I'd be I'd be happy to and I, you know one thing I want to let uh, let readers know, and I'll give the three main enha enhancements, but I do strongly encourage uh, your, re your readers, your listeners, to um, take a look at the front matter so you can see some of the nitty gritty nuts and bolts things. Uh, often when you first look through a revised textbook, you may say, well, this doesn't look very different, but a lot of the changes have occurred on a micro level that enhance the global um, organization of the book. So among the changes that we've done, are the following. We uh, went through the every single chapter in the entire text and we tried to make both the what do you learn uh, questions as well as the questions at the end of the chapter to inco incorporate a variety of levels of Bloom's taxonomy. So we're not just merely requiring students to recall information, we are asking some higher application questions and how we're asking them to learn and study the material is dramatically different. This was something that we did in the human anatomy text that we've carried over to A&P. So for example, we asked, instead of asking a student, list the three things uh, that the adrenal uh, that the uh, adrenal cortex does uh, we may say sketch the adrenal cortex and highlight the various regions and make a drawing and then summarize what those aspects are so we have a lot of questions where we ask students to make a table or a, a, a 
uh, comparing and contrasting the different types of epithelium or make a drawing of this particular anatomic structure and label the following. What have you found? And in so doing, we are, um, what we are trying to do in, in perhaps a sneaky way to the students, but actually in incorporating educational best practices is trying to show to them that best practices for learning are not just simply reading over your notes or reading over the text. It's making drawings, it's making tables, it's learning how to truly incorporate some of, uh, some of that information in, and reorganizing it into a way that you can solidify in your own mind. So that's the first major change. We've tried to do that throughout the text. Um, a second thing which I'm very prou uh, proud of and um, I would like to say has in part been inspired by HAPS is throughout the text we've tried to utilize uh, language that is more gender inclusive. In the past, to give you, a, and that may seem like a small step for some, but I feel that that is a very big step, especially for some of our students who are part of the LGBTQ spectrum or who are non-conforming or individuals that feel that they are not being adequately represented by traditional he, he she language. So instead of simply saying he, 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 or he, she, um, to bring up this discussion, we also have discussions in the appropriate chapters about how gender is a social construct, not a biological construct. So at least to get students recognizing if they're going to be in the healthcare professions and they are going to be treating individuals who may not conform to cisgender identities. So at least to get them to be aware of some of these, some of these perceptions. A third thing that we are starting to do with this fourth edition, but we're going to continue throughout is to incorporate the theme of the um, gut microbiome. There has been a lot of discussion in research um, as well as popular news about how the microbiome of the gut has been implicated in a lot of things such as depression, anxiety, a variety of health, um, health ailments and disorders. And we're recognizing that the gut microbiome has a very strong role in human health. That is not just simply here are a bunch of little bacteria and bugs that happen to be residing in our gut. They directly impact our health and wellness. So throughout, and not just in chapter 26, the digestive system, right in chapter, uh, chapter one, we introduce the concept of the gut microbiome because that's one of the really exciting concepts that I think um, anatomists, physiologists, and clinicians are starting to learn more about. So that is a summary of the three major things. Oh, I love it. And I always learn uh, something new by talking with you as authors and, and how, you, how you think about things when you create them in the book. So thank you for that. Uh, okay, so you have really a great benefit of being in the classroom uh, and know what makes students tick. And one of the things that really, uh, aside from new things, that really has made the branding of the integrative approach textbook stand out is the art program. And how do you feel that really these extensive visuals that we've even made into digital versions helps today's students and helps everyone learn? The visual is anatomy, anatomy is a very visual subject. It's very difficult to learn the anatomy from just the printed word. So that said, you want to have visualizations and an art program that is anatomically accurate yet not overwhelming. I mentioned that I teach both undergraduates and medical students. The art program, the atlases that I use at the medical student level, I would not use for undergraduates because 
frankly, there's too much detail, too much information that is completely overwhelming. On the other hand, you don't want to have an art program that is dumbed down, that doesn't accurately reflect the organization. So throughout with all of the artwork, um, whenever there's an anatomical structure, I will go up into the gross lab and I will take a look at some medical imaging to make sure are we anatomically accurate, are we accurately representing the anatomy in this art. Now that said, we've all we've also listened to our reviewers, and um, what we try to do is to have a nice balance between accurate artwork and accurate labeling, but labeling that is not overwhelming. So another change that you'll see in some selected images in the fourth edition is that for some selected artwork, we've heard some uh, we've heard that a couple of pieces had uh, too much text. And so students didn't quite know where to follow. So especially with the concept overview figures, we tried to make the navigation patterns more intuitive. And we incorporated the information from not just our reviewers, but from our students. Ask them, if you're looking at this, where would you start? And is, do you get lost in this? And is there a way that we can make this better for the navigation pro, uh, problems? So I know that Terry Vidal, my co-author, has brought these into her class and has asked her students, Tell me how you would think how you think that this would be better improved for you to learn better from this. So I feel we have a wonderful balance between anatomically accurate artwork and accurate representation of the anatomy and physiology without overwhelming the undergraduate student. Oh, that's perfect. And it's so true because there's so much for them to take in in just two semesters. So much to learn. And exactly. So you want to keep it as streamlined as possible. So great. So along with all these great content updates, we have some really impactful digital updates, including our new APR integrated assignment, which really goes along with the anatomy piece. Uh, Smartbook 2.0, which really gives students that um, gets them to read. That's one of the challenges instructors have, we know, is getting them into the content. And then our virtual labs, which have been really important, uh, especially during this crazy COVID time. Uh, but in, in an updated question bank, as Valerie mentioned, with the Bloom's taxonomy and making sure that students are learning at all levels. So how do you feel, Valerie, about um, the effect of how technology can really affect today's students' learning and uh, any recommendations that you might have for other instructors who might be embarking on digital or uh, that have used it prior and, and use it more, how to, how to make it more effective? Um. Well, and I can speak. To, I can speak to this specifically to the McGraw Hill program, not just as an author, but as a user. And as a user who also got impacted by COVID, when everything got shut down, I went, "Oh no! How the heck do I teach an anatomy course all online?" Um, so, among the recommendations I would do is to say that early on, as a faculty member, take a look at what there is available. I love the fact that McGraw Hill has one-on-one -on -one, uh, tutorials uh, with with off with um with uh, adoptees to say here we can show you an overview of things when um my campus indiana university was shut down and i'm teaching this anatomy course and i have an anatomy lab component i thought how the heck do i do this one of the tools i used was the practice um the practice atlas that michael coat um one of one of the digital uh gurus at McGraw Hill developed. Mm -hmm. he, he utilized a variety of, took images of a variety of A&P models, labeled them, and I incorporated that as a digital aspect. If I didn't have that, I would, be up a, I would be up a creek without a paddle. So there were a variety of tools there. 
with the technology, there is so much that is there to offer, but sometimes the so much can be overwhelming. So I would say as instructors, we need to review all of these great tools that are out there and then say, what will work best for my students and then direct them accordingly. So for example, Anatomy and Physiology Revealed has a ton of wonderful assessments and practice quizzes and the like in there. What I did in the Connect platform was I selected direct links of the animations that I found most appropriate. I incorporated that, embedded that in my Canvas module, and I embedded a particular, uh, some specific activities in there. I told students to take advantage and go and explore and browse, but sometimes they need to, sit, they need to have those specific things there. So I had that incorporated in my Canvas platform to say, at the bare minimum, take a look at this, this, and this. So I gave them a little bit of a roadmap. Without that roadmap, your students will feel lost. I also utilize the Learn Smart that comes with uh, Learn Smart activities that come with each group, and I would encourage individuals to don't just assign them optionally without deadlines. Try to gently have these things open for limited periods of times that overlap. So you are gently encouraging students not to wait until the night before the exam to review all this great technology. So you want to try to gently encourage them to utilize these things. Also, one of the great things I found with, um, with Connect and with all of these um, online testing questions is, as an instructor, you can modify all of these things yourself. So I've taken some of the question banks and I've created my own questions and created my own quizzes from these things, but I had all the templates, so I used the quiz feature in Connect, but I modified some of the questions to make some of this integration in my specific, in my course that was specific to me. So if an instructor says, yeah, there's a question bank, but it's not specific to my class, I want to let them know you can edit this and the editing is very easy. Yes, yes, and then you're right. It is just a place, it's a template to start and you can mm -hmm. really make it specific to your students. Yeah, so we had a lot of people have to move to digital and, and that was a lifesaver. We actually, Valerie, I have a story, had an instructor who took pictures of all of her anatomical models and then called and said, how do I put these in Connect? And then I said, oh, oh shoot, we have the practice atlas. But she was very oh. happy because her uh, pictures, she said, weren't as high res as <laughs> some of those. So. <laughs> So if you think that you would like to create a tool, there's likely maybe something out there already. Exactly. Awesome. So um, share with us a little bit just about your teaching philosophy and what, what I know you're, it's obvious you're so passionate about um, anatomy and physiology and the whole topic in general and just really serve the community. What, what's really your teaching philosophy and, and passion going forward? My teaching philosophy um, is multi is multifold. Um, in addition to making sure that I have things well organized and I communicate efficiently with with students, I try to bring forward a passion and an interest in the subject, and that comes up in my teaching evaluation. If your students know that you want to be in the classroom and you're excited about that information, then they get excited too. The other thing that has been backed by decades of education research is being the talking head on the, you know, the sage on the stage does not work. So I try to incorporate as many interactive learning opportunities in my lecture of 480 students. Um, I have a variety of modules or think pair share activities and I will walk around the classroom and have them do those activities. So I punctuate the lecture components with these, with these interactive activities so that 
students don't feel that they just are supposed to sit there, take notes and leave. And that way too, they can incorporate um, some, uh, they can get feedback, one-on-one -on -one feedback with me. When we had to move to the Zoom format, um, I tried to make the, the Zoom COVID online learning format as interactive as possible. So here I am with, I had literally five pages of boxes, of these little boxes of visuals of, um, of student photos. And we'd start off with things with, I, with, I wanted to get to know the student and I wanted to give them uh, some information. So I was like, okay, what's the latest show you're binge watching? Let's talk about this before we even get started. So express an interest in, this, in your students as, as a person. And to encourage dialogue in that Zoom format, I used um, strongly utilize the chat box. So instead of having one person try to turn on their microphone and then you have five people and then no one wants to talk, say, type your answer in there. Uh, let's let's do some quizzing activities. Let's, let's do this. So we would do some quizzing activities. We would draw out some things. I'd pull up images from the book and then say, well, let's show how you could make a sketch of this yourself. And I'd show them my really lousy sketches. So I want to reassure all of the listeners, I have not created any of the art. I, I created, I gave them ideas, but if you saw my art, you would know that it's not part of the very professional art program. But I showed that to my students and say, I know you can all draw better than me. Make a stick figure, let's do this. So making the teaching philosophy, and I tried to uh, be transparent with them about my failures as a student and an instructor. Because a lot of times they think like, well, this comes so naturally to you. And I told them, no, anatomy was the toughest course I've ever had. And I never felt more of a failure than I did the first time I took my anatomy course. I realized upon repeating and readjusting my study strategies, that's when things became successful. Oh, that's great. So you can really relate to them. And hey, um, I wouldn't doubt that you would have some artistry skills too. <laughs> You've got many other ones, but focus on, focus on what you're best at, right? <laughs> Well, wonderful. So that's even great advice for a new instructor that's starting in digital. But in general, do you have any advice for a brand new instructor who might just be adopting your book and, and getting started for the very first time? I would say take advantage of the resources that come with the book and recognize that you don't have to invent the wheel, that we have so many things that are available to you. Also, you are not teaching in a vacuum. Talk to your other fellow instructors. See what they've done. Um, see what kind of tips or tricks that they have. If you've got questions about how something's presented, uh, both Terry Beidel and I are open to emails if you want to email us. Finally, I would strongly recommend that individuals join the Human Anatomy and Physiology Society. Um, there you'll listen to a whole bunch of instructors from the adjunct level to full professor who all share a lot of these com common um, issues of how do I even begin to teach in the class? And you get to go to workshops where they'll say how to make your first day of the workshop interactive and engaged and get the students hooked from the first day. So you don't have to come up with all of this stuff yourself. Yes. That's great. Great advice. Well, I always love hearing your insights, Valerie, and um, very much looking forward to sharing this new edition of your textbook uh, with the world of higher education. I know uh, users of the integrative approach textbook have long, long-standing users and have really, really enjoyed it. So thank you for bringing all of your content to students and instructors. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Any last words before we, we say goodbye for now? Well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast. 
And uh, the last words are, I hope that everyone who, um, who sees the new textbook is excited about the uh, changes in the format as we are. And if you have any feedback for us, please send me an email. My email is in the uh, book. We, are, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what works, what do you like, what are some things that you, uh, that you may be struggling with or that you have a question about. We are open to answer your questions, uh, my co-author and I. So, and we want to thank you all for uh, trusting us to help educate your students. Yes, wonderful. And you can always share feedback too with us at McGraw-Hill. My email is Valerie.Kramer at mheducation.com. Feedback about the book, questions that you want me to pass along to Valerie or connect you with, um, and share with us any feedback you might have about the podcast or ideas that you have going forward. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, and we will be sure to provide you with more AMP inspiration. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you're having a great spring semester. Thank you.